Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. We want you to look at that for just a moment. And we're going to read some verses for you. And then we'll get into the message. Psalm 78 is where we'll be. And we'll begin in verse number 1. It'll sort of help us get the flow of this chapter. And then we'll sort of fill in, flesh out the bones a little bit as we go along. Psalm 78, verse number 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the generation which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God, the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law and forgot His works and His wonders that He had showed them. Marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and He made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime He also led them with a cloud and at night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks uh, in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more and more, or yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God... Furnish a table in the wilderness. Would you look at that verse again, the last verse, and let's use that sort of as our, our main thrust today. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Father, would you today open our hearts to your word and open your word into our hearts. Give us, dear God, the things that we have need of. God, there's no way that I can meet the need of every person here. I don't even know what the needs are, and there's no possible way that I could frame my words today so that it would penetrate hearts and go beyond the ear. And so I ask that you, who know us all better than we know ourselves, and you have the very hairs on our head counted, would you Dear God, take what you've given me today and would you spread it and apply it into each heart as needed. And we'll thank you for what you do. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen. Two weeks ago, I, I brought a message called Protecting Our Vision. And in that, I, I talked about the steps that we needed to avoid losing the vision of what God can do through us and, 
and with us and in us. We, wanna, we don't want to lose our vision. We don't want to lose what God can do in our lives, in our families, in our church. Maybe even on your job, you want to you keep the vision of being the witness and the testimony. Whatever purpose God has for your life, we don't want to lose the vision that we had so many years ago. We talked about a group of people 350 years ago that set sail from England and sailed across the Atlantic, 3,000 plus miles to uh, settle uh, a township in the New World. And, and as, they, as they began that arduous task of carving out of a wilderness a place to live, and they brought trees down and dug stumps up and plowed fields and built cabins and established themselves in, in what was at that time a very, very untamed wilderness, and they established that town site. In that very next year, uh, with the young town just in its infancy, they saw the need to elect a town government, and so they did so. The very next year, their third year, that government uh, devised a plan in which they would blaze a, a road five miles westward. <coughs> so here they are, three, three years into their existence as a town, their government decides, okay, we're going to expand. We're going to move beyond our current boundaries, and we're going to blaze a trail five miles westward. In the fourth year of this township, the people got together and decided to impeach the elected officials that they had put in position the very year before because they felt that it was a waste of time and a waste of money to blaze a trail five miles to the westward. Now the, the vital thing about that that I brought out then, I want to bring out again now in reiterating that illustration, is that these are people that had a vision to move 3,000 miles across the ocean to a place that they had never seen and start out giving their heart and life and energy to, to scratching out a living from the earth and carving a township out of wilderness. But in just a few years, they didn't have enough vision left to see five miles to the west. Something happened. They lost their pioneering spirit. Sometimes even in a marriage we can go and because of the circumstances around us and the things that come into our life, we can lose the vision of what God would have for us as a couple in those early years when we walked to an altar and stare starry-eyed at each other and, and made our wedding vows and we had an idea of what we wanted our life together to be. But we lose that vision. Things crowded out. Businesses and children and problems and sickness and so many superficial things can steal that from us. Even with our children, sometimes we lose vision. And I understand when they get to a certain age, they move out of your house, and then they've got to make some decisions of their own, and they've got to have a vision for their own life. But sometimes, sometimes it's very easy when things get busy, we, we lose a vision of our home, our family, our, our children, our marriage, and we, like these people in this township, we lose our pioneer, pioneering vision and we become content and settled in what has become our comfort zone. And so we are approaching the final days of 2021. Okay, <laughs> I remember, Brother Joe, when we were approaching the final days of 2020, we were all so excited. Why? Because 2021 would be different. And it was. Was different. It was worse. Anyhow, I'm kidding. I'm 
So now we're in the final days of 2021. We're, we're approaching the birthing of a new year. And aren't you glad God gives us new days and new weeks and new months and new years and new decades? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we're not bound to and stuck to what was. And there's a fresh beginning every 24 hours, and I'm grateful for the mercy and grace of God in doing that. But I want to tell you, in, in the current climate of our world and of our nation, I think that we have some, we have some choices confronting us, okay? We're going to have to decide whether we're going to curl up by the warm comfort of survival mode and, uh, and just remain content with where we are and what we have. And that's a, that's a very reassuring place. It, it calls for no challenge. It calls for no movement. It calls, it calls for no forward progress. We just stay where we are, as we are, doing what we're doing and never really changing. Or... We can envision what's beyond our current boundaries, and we can decide that we're going to cut a trail five miles to the west. We can confess that there is more that God would have us do, and we can do that. I, I, think, that, I think that maybe it's time that we take inventory of our vision of what God wants from us and what God would have. Maybe, maybe we need to ask ourselves some questions. Are we content with village life, or would we build a road? Maybe... We should ask ourselves if we've lost the pioneering vision that used to energize and used to excite us in the early days. <clears throat> has God, in these unsettled days, has God, for some reason, called us to simply play it safe and, and, and maintain what we have? And I understand there's a certain amount of maintenance in ministry and in marriage and in everything else. There are things you have to maintain. I know that. But can I remind you that, that God hasn't called us to be keepers of aquariums. He's called us to be fishers of men. That we are to be busy. We are to be moving, always advancing. And I, I wonder if our vision of what God can do with us is as fresh and as passionate as it was in the early days of our church or the early days of your marriage or when you first cradled your newborn child in your arms and looked into their face and prayed for them and asked God to use them in a great day. Maybe if we answer those questions honestly, maybe we come to the conclusion that we need a fresh touch today. A fresh touch today. That maybe we need God to touch us freshly today. And rebirth that vision. It's no time to stay put. We've been commanded to go ye. You know what? Look, look. Why don't we just let the Word of God sink deeply where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Why don't we let that just sink below the surface and find its way to our heart? Because where there is no vision, the people perish. The, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs. And, and that's not just the people for whom the vision is for, but it's the people themselves that should have the vision. Both groups perish. If I lose my vision, I perish. Meaning that, 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 that my life becomes a dilapidated mess of nothingness. That I'm bound to who I am, where I am, and I go no further. I stop moving forward for God. I used to challenge teachers at teachers' conventions when I would speak 
I would say if you, if you ever stop studying yourself, if you ever stop learning yourself, if you ever stop growing in the subject you're called to teach as yourself, then, then you have lost your credentials. The reality of the matter is we don't teach subjects, we teach students. There are people involved. And if you don't always grow, always learn, always, if you're not always going forward, then you're, you're going to become stagnant water. And, and so we have to question ourselves. Now, Psalm 78 is the longest historical psalm that you'll find in the Bible. It's an incredible psalm. It's, it's the history of Israel up until this point just encapsulated in a nutshell. God, God grabs one end and grabs the other end and presses it together, and he gives you, he gives you a nutshell understanding of what took place in, in, in the nation of Israel and, and, and their conflict with him. It's the voice of history. Psalm 78 is the voice of history to the children of Israel and, 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 and to men who ignore the lessons of the past. I want to tell you, it will be to their own peril. And so God says to Israel, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to sum some things up for you. I'm going to show you your history. I want to show you your footprints in the past and where they brought you to in the present. And it's going to bring you to a point of decision in the present that you're going to either have to change your ways or continue in the path that you've been going all these many years. One of my favorite historical writers is John Meacham. He's written some of the just some great books. John Meacham said this, he said, To fail to consult the past consigns us to what might be called the tyranny of the present. The mistaken idea that the crises of our own time are unprecedented and that we have to solve them without experience to guide us. Subject to such a tyranny, we are more likely to take a narrow or simplistic view or to let our passions get the better of our reason. Listen. If we know, however, how those who came before us found the ways and means to surmount the difficulties of their age, we stand a far better chance of acting in the moment with perspective and measured judgment. Light can neither enter into nor emanate from a closed mind. It's the past from which we get our lessons. One of the great problems in our, in our woke culture today is that, is that the people that are driving the woke culture are ignorant of our history. They don't know a, a thing about our past. And they're tearing down statues and memories of people that forged our nation uh, out, out of nothingness into a, the greatest nation, uh, a, a most civilized nation in the free world. But they do so because they're ignorant of our past. Psalm 78 tells us of one long succession of miracles and mercy. Miracles and mercy met by equally continuous ingratitude. That's Psalm 78. Mercy and gratitude. Grace and gratitude. Mercy and gratitude. From, from the first verse all the way to the end of the chapter. Read it when you get home tonight. It is absolutely one continuous line from God's side and from man's side, and it always resulted in national calamity because God cannot bless an ungrateful people. Look with me in the chapter. Would you do that? Chapter 78. Watch this. Verse 40. How oft did they provoke him and grieve him in the desert? Verse 2. They provoked him, and they were defiantly 
disobeying him. They were doing the exact opposite of what he had commanded them. Notice, look at the verse again. He provoked, they provoked him and they grieved him. So what was their response to God's mercy? Number one, they provoked him. Number two, they grieved him. That means they deliberately caused him pain. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number four and verse 30, it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Did you know that you can cause pain to God? You know why? Because God is love and you're his child and he's your father. And every fa- we're just made in the image of God and every father is grieved and heartbroken by the waywardness of his child. So what did they do when God blessed them? They provoked him. What did they do when God blessed them? They they grieved him. Notice verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. So there are two things in verse 41. First of all, they provoked him and they grieved him. Verse 40. Verse 41, the Bible says that that, that they tempted him and, 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 and they limited the Holy One of Israel. You know what tempted means? They're going to do something to see how God responds. Look, I'm going to do this. I'll just see what God will do about that. I, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cross that boundary line, and I'm going to just see if God does anything about it. That's tempting God. And then it says they limited him. That's a fascinating word. It's a very revealing word. You know what the word limit means? If you do a word study, it means that they drew a circle around God. They placed God in their box, in their own mind. Now, we understand who God is and that you can't do that to God. But I'm talking about in their own mind. They said, okay, this, will, this is where we want God, right here in our life, right here. God, right here. You're my Sunday morning God. I'll obey you on Sunday morning. I'll put my, I'll put my, my best on. I'll go to church on Sunday. You're my Sunday morning God. But, but don't step out of that box on Monday or Tuesday. That's my time. And so they drew, they drew, they limited God. They drew a circle around him, wanted him to stay within the small boundaries that they had determined for him. Verse 42 of chapter 78, they remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. You know what they did? Not only did they provoke him and grieve him and tempt him and limit him, they forgot everything that he had done for them. No, no, no intentionally. No, no, this isn't, this isn't, well, I, I can't remember. That happens to me. I mean, if it happens to you. Have you ever gone, you ever gone in looking for your keys and they were in your hand? And they're on your glasses and they're on your face. Okay. Yeah. Just forget it. You walk into a room and forgot why you went into the room. Never happens to me, but pray for Chad. And so, no, we laugh at each other sometimes because it, it happens. And, and the reality, that's not what this was. This was an intentional setting aside. I'm going to, here's what God did for me, but boom, I'm putting this on the shelf. Psalm 103, verse 2, David had another idea. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Well, we ought to remember, shouldn't we? Should, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we remember what God's done for us? That's what Thanksgiving's about. But here's the reality of the matter is, we set one day aside for Thanksgiving, but the reality of the matter is, we ought not have a day of Thanksgiving. We ought to have a life of Thanksgiving. Every day, every week, there ought to be time when we give thanks. When our kids were growing up, and we'd sit around the supper table, we would go around the room and have them share something they were thankful for. Nathan, by the way, and his family are in Yakima. He's preaching for his father-in-law, and they're spending Thanksgiving with Chris's family. But Nathan, uh, Nathan would always be thankful for the food. 
what a spiritual pygmy. You know what I'm saying? And we're sitting at the table, there's hot food there. They're like, Dad, let's don't do this. You know, let's skip this, let's eat. And so I would always, Nathan, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for the food. Okay, Nathan, that's what you've been thankful for for the last year and a half. Can you come up with something else? Yeah, the hands that cooked it. You know, I mean, I don't know. Always, always wrapped up in food somehow. But we ought, to, we, ought to, we ought to forget not all his benefits. Now, now, stay with me. All right, I'm going somewhere, so stay with me. We're going to tie this together. How'd they get to that place? Are you kidding me? This is the children of, of the living God? This is the nation of Israel. This is, this is the people that God parted the Red Sea for. And smote the rock and waters came out, and they flowed like rivers of water in a wilderness. This is a God that fed them with manna. This is a God that gave them quail to eat. This, this is the God that delivered them out of the bondage and from the slave master's task whip in, in Egypt. And now all of a sudden they're provoking. They're tempting. They're limiting. They're rebelling against God. How do you get to that place in your walk with God? Well, you don't arrive there without taking a journey to get you there. Now look at me, listen to me. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I think this is a beautiful day to tempt God. Sun, this is nice looking. Beautiful sky. I think today, before the day is out, I'll just spend some time provoking the Holy One of Israel. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'm just going to, I, I'm just going to forget everything God's ever done for me today. It's over. I'm wiping my mind clean. I'm moving on with life without God. Nobody wakes up and does that. It's a lot of decisions that get you to that place. A series of events in your life that bring you there. But it has a beginning. And the beginning is seen in verse number 78. Watch this. Uh, verse number 19 of chapter 78. Watch this. Yea, they spake against God. They said, now watch this. Can God. <laughs> can God. There's two words. Can God. And when you align them the way that Israel did, it brings you to a place of questioning God. But if you take the same two words and reverse them, you have an entirely different perspective of life. It's not can God, it's God can. Two words, but those two words will determine the direction of your life. And every person here today, and every person that's not here today, and every, every person that names the name of God and that claims, listen, every single person in the world will live their life one of, with one of those two perspectives. You will either live a, a God-can life or you will live a can-God life. And which one of those you choose will determine to a great degree your, your happiness and your effectiveness of your Christian walk. First of all, let's look at can God. Now it's interesting as you read this chapter, and again I'm challenging you to read it when you go home because it's a fascinating chapter. Man alive. You just look at everything God did for them. And, and really, Psalm 78 is filled with the testimony of God's goodness, and it talks about God's testimony. 
The whole chapter says God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and God did this, and God did that, and God was, and God did, and, and God was to them, and, and God was there with them, and, and God, and God, and God, and God, and everything in that chapter. It's filled with testimony of how God had His, his blessings upon His children and, and His power to deliver them, and yet the children of Israel ignored all of that testimony, and they actually arrived at a place in their life where they said, Can God? I mean, come on, can God? We're in a wilderness, can God? We're, we're, not, we're not in the promised land. We're, we're not where we were. Look, look, look at what's around us. Look at this emptiness of this wilderness. Can God provide a table where we're at? By the way, can I just tell you the downward spiral of man began with a question to God? In the book of Genesis, chapter 3, Satan came to Eve and he said unto her, Yea, hath God said. Then if you move, move a few verses down after she bit the, you know, into the question, Satan then discredits the character of God. And he said, let me tell you why God said that. Because God knows if you take of this fruit, you're going to be like him. God's withholding goodness from you and things that, that, that you deserve and you should have. God's withholding that from you. So he not only questioned God, he actually attacked the character of God. It's interesting in our verse of Scripture in Psalm 78, verse 19, Yea, they spake against God. No, no, they spake against God. This wasn't, this wasn't a question that involved their circumstances. This was a question that in, involved the character and the integrity of a holy and righteous God. They weren't questioning where they were or what they had. They were questioning who God was. They were attacking His character. Yeah, do you really think God? That's the, that's the, that's the flavor of that verse. Yeah, come on, really? Really? I mean, come on, guys. Do you really think God can furnish a table for us in the middle of nowhere? It's a, it's a rhetorical question. The answer, the answer that is built in with the question is, we don't think he can. And so God took it personally. By the way, David prayed and questioned God throughout the Psalms. But he was questioning his circumstances. Even Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was talking about his circumstances, where he was at that moment in his sacrificial death for man's sin. But at no point did David or Christ or any other person that ever questioned God attack the character of God and, and receive the blessings of God. They spake against God. They were questioning His character and His power, and God took it personally. Can I just, can I just tell you this, that God always takes it personally when we question His character? Boy, if you just read, if you just read it, He divided the sea. He made the waters to stand as a heap. Verse 13 and 14, he led them with a cloud. Verse 15, he claved the rocks. Verse 16, he brought the streams out of the rock. And what does verse 17 say? And they sinned more, yet more against him. Everything that God did for them, and yet they, they, they were blinded to the blessings. They had become so distracted by their circumstances, they couldn't see God's hand in their life. They were blind to everything God had done. And that's possible for you and me. We can zero in on the problems and the difficulties and the world around us, and we can forget 
how God is blessed. Let's, let's close by talking about not just the, the can God life, but let's close by talking about the God can life. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God the Father. Wherefore, wherefore consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Listen, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. You better keep your eyes on Jesus or are you fixing to have a fainting spell? You look at the world around you, you get weak need. You look at the world around you, you get to what in the world's going on. You start looking at the problems that our world is facing and you start assuming them as your own. You're going, you're, you're going to get in trouble. It's going to take your mind, it's going to take your mind places where your mind should not go. We got too many people in the house of God coming to the church of the living God these days that are so wrapped up in the world they can't see God. They can't see God because of all the problems in the world. I don't care about the pandemic. I don't care about I don't care about all of the junk and all of the garbage. I don't I don't care about I don't care about the media. I don't, I don't care about all of the problems in the world. Look, I understand they're real, and I'm not lessening those. I'm saying that God is still on His throne. And we in the house of God, if we can't live like it in front of a world that is lost, where are they going to find truth in life if they can't see it in the people that Jesus said, so, even so send I you. Ye are the light of the world. Light of the world, really? We're the light of the world? Are you kidding me? We're the light of the world? We ought not be smothered. No, no. No, no, my God's bigger than, than anything. Do you know what would happen to you if you had been born in 1900? Do you know the pandemics? Do you know the world wars? Do you know the deaths? Do you know that if you were born in, 19, in 1900, do you, know all, do you know how many millions of people would have died in your lifetime? Do you, you know the catastrophes America would have gone through in your lifetime? Do you know the world wars? Do you know the conflicts? Do, do you know the depressions? And yet, and yet here we are, we somehow think that we're the only ones. We're not the only ones. And through every single bit, every turn in the road, in the history of man, God was there. No, no. History is His story. It's not your story or my story or their story. It is His story. It is how God is always there through every turning page of history. According to the Bureau of Standards in Washington, a dense fog covers seven blocks to a depth of 100 feet and yet is composed of less than one glass of water. So, so show me a seven city blocks covered with a fog that you can barely see through. It's one glass of water. And yet, what it is, it's at 60 billion tiny droplets spread all over the countryside. You can barely see through it. Dear friend, listen to me. Can I, can I, can I tell you this? Please, please, would you just hear me? I know some of you are really in struggles right now, and I pray for you. I know these times aren't easy. 
but your fog is a glass of water to God. The thing that you cannot see through or around, God is already on the other side of that. Our God, our God can. David defeated Goliath because he saw God as bigger than the giant. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not fear the king nor the furnace because they believed that their God was greater. Daniel saw God as greater than the lions and the lion's den. And yet the children of Israel, when it came time from Kadesh Barnea to enter into the promised land, they turned and went back and wandered for 40 years in a wilderness. Why? Because all they could see was giants. They couldn't see beyond the giant. And to them, their God was smaller than the giants that were before them. And so what did they do? They wandered 40 years. Now, now, here's the truth. Before you is a promised land, so to speak. It's what God has for you and God's purpose for you. Behind you is a wilderness. And if you live God can, you go forward. And if you live, if you live can God, you go backwards. Don't lose your faith. Struggle though you may, don't lose your faith, your, your faith in God. The children of Israel ask a question, can God furnished a table in the wilderness. David said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. David said, Yeah, he can. Can I give you a couple of verses? Ephesians 3, 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Can I give you another one? Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Can I, can I just throw you a challenge as we close today? Would you, would you just take a challenge today? Why don't you thank God? This is thank to me. Why don't you do this? Why don't you try thanking God for something you don't have? Why don't you just say, okay, this is what I need. I don't have it yet. I'm going to thank Him for it. Why don't you just step out? Why don't you just say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to thank God for something that I need that He hasn't provided yet. But because I live a God-can life, I'm going to, I'm going to thank Him for what I believe with all of my heart he can do, I want to go ahead and thank him for doing it, as though he's already done it. He said, while, before you call, I'll answer. And, and while the prayer is in your mouth, God said, I'll work. God's able to do that. Listen to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of, of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now look, here's faith. Look at me. Ready? Here's faith. Look at me. Okay? Here's faith. Faith is substance and evidence. That's pretty good. You like substance? You like in, in evidence? Okay, that's good. It's substance and evidence. But well, wait a minute. What is it substance of? It's substance of things just still yet hoped for. What's it evidence of? Things not seen. That's faith. So you know what I can do? I can thank God for the things I hope for. And I can praise Him for the things not yet seen. If I go down to the local dealership and I order a car, Things are in shortage nowadays of everything. You can't in, get a lot of things like that. But you, you want to buy a car. You got a special car you're going to buy. And you go in and you order the car, and they tell you it's not here yet, but it'll be here in a couple of months. 
and you walk out with a title deed in your hands, you don't have your car, but you've got your title deed. Now listen to me, that's what faith is. Faith is, I don't have my answer to my prayer left yet, but I got substance, and I've got evidence, though it's just something I'm hoping for, and it's something I can't yet see visibly. I prayed, and I believe with all my heart, God's giving it, God's answering, God's going to work. I've got evidence and substance. That's what faith is. On your knees before your God. Thank God for the things that you need from Him. God, listen, look at me, two words. God can. I don't know what your trouble is today. I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what's, I don't know what's hurt you. I don't know what's discombobulated your life. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know everybody's story and everybody's need. I know that God can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Let's pray. Right where you're at, I don't know. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I tell you, we'll take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're saved. That's the greatest knowledge in all the world, is to know Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and, and that's your need, can I tell you, we'd be so, so happy to take a Bible. We'll, we'll step aside with you into a back room and open the Scripture and show you how you can enter into a personal relationship with Christ. I did that at the age of 12. I'm 66 years old. Boy, what a journey. What a friend. How grateful I am that he saved my soul. If you don't have that assurance today, we want to, we want to be able to help you. We want to be able to show you how you can know for sure you're saved. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, Brother Dean, if I died today, I don't know I'd go to heaven. Is there anybody like that? I, I need you. I'd like you to pray for me. I'd like to, I'd like to get that settled. Anybody? Okay, now... What is it? What's challenging your faith? Can God, in this, as hard and as difficult, can God do what I need God to do? Yeah, God can. Yes, God can. Yes, God can. I hope you'll hear that loud and clear today. And, and, and though you're weak in faith and though, and though you're struggling in your faith, that's okay. That's all right. Put your faith in Christ and He will he'll do the things that on the other side of the fog you'll say, yep, yep, He could. And He did. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you can, that you're a God who can, and that your character and your power, your might, should never be questioned by a weak and struggling man. Dear God, help us, I pray, in the name of Christ, that we would live by faith a God-can life. 
We thank you for today. Bless us. Bless our service tonight, our Thanksgiving service. Make it a, a wonderful and a special time together. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.